every fool down in Ooville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Ooville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the Who's. Staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every Who down in Whoville beneath was busy now, hanging a holly Who wreath. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled for the sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Just so you know, I hung out with the Grinch last night. You saw it on Facebook. Honest to goodness, I had a wedding in East Greenwich, Connecticut, and I'm driving back. I stopped at Uno's to get a bite to eat. No kidding, the Grinch come and sat down in my booth with me. <laughs> God knew what was happening today. So this is much, I, I must have got the right sermon. It must be. <laughs> Speaking of celebration, Enjoy. We're going to celebrate communion at the end of the message today, so I apologize for these sadistic little <laughs> communion cups. But we, it's, this, is a, this is a holdover from COVID. I look forward to getting back to the normal communion cup soon. But you might want to... Uh, I went ahead and got mine ready. It took like two, 10 minutes. <laughs> And got it all ready so you could open. So one one key is it take the go ahead and take the top off to the reveal the, the host while I'm preaching. That's fine, and that will give you a head start. So at the end of the sermon, we'll communion is, and I, I'm not making light of communion. But you believe me, that's why I'm saying something about it. It's ter- it's it's probably the most important uh, sacrament of the church. Okay. This title of Theodore Geisel's uh, classic movie, Theodore Geisel's Zeus, who, by the way, was born in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, and went to college in Dartmouth, and then later Oxford. He's a brilliant man. Uh, this title of this classic movie is really, though, an accurate title because the Grinch didn't really steal Christmas. He just stole the customs and traditions that we have added to Christmas and have emerged around the celebration of the Incarnation. I think a better title would have been either the Grinch tried to steal Christmas, or the, I'm going to call it the choice to rejoice. The Grinch couldn't, could have been talking about Mary, the mother of our Lord, and her joy that she expressed that we're going to read in just a moment uh, in, that, uh, in that iconic song that we call the Magnificent. Uh, we know now, uh, as, uh, as Mary's song, as a lot of us call it, and uh, 
the Grinch could have been talking about her when he said it came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. Maybe Christmas didn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. Israel in the time of Mary had become a haven for Grinches. Israel's hope had been stolen. It had been stolen and their joy had been stolen. The joy of being a nation had been stolen uh, from the ordinary citizens and the people of God by uh, the Roman legion, so, legions of soldiers who walked through their streets and the crushing Roman Empire. And the, uh, the Pharisees down at the temple didn't help either. They, the Pharisees and Sadducees had become an oppressive hierarchy as well. And so the joy of faith had been taken from them. But in the midst of it all, in the midst of it all, Mary finds out that she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world, Jesus. And that joy, that tremendous joy of knowing that she would give birth to the Son of God, it trumped all the oppression and all that she had lost and all that Israel had lost. And you read the history, things were dire and things were difficult and things didn't look good for Israel. But when she learned that the hope of Israel was, 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 was within her womb, here's what she said. Mary at that time, or here's what the Bible says, I meant to say. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. <clears throat> By the way, could someone from the hospitality team get me a, 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 some, a cup of water in the name of Jesus? <laughs> <clears throat> At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered at Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth was her cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I don't know how you know the baby in your womb is leaping for joy, but she did. Blessed is the one who believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, Thank you, Pat. My soul glorifies the Lord, and here's a key word I'm bringing up right now. Get ready to underline it, circle it, or try to remember it anyway. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The word, the word rejoice, uh, by the way, is translated in John chapter 5, verse 3, as enjoy. It says, John was a light that burned bright for a time you chose to enjoy his light. So in the midst of joylessness and hopelessness, Mary found something she enjoyed. And she enjoyed it so much, it overwhelmed all the sadness. It overwhelmed all that they had lost. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the choice to rejoice. Now, where was I? My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their utmost thoughts, inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has filled up the humble uh, he, he, he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. 
but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remember to be merciful, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So let's talk about this choice to resort, re- rejoice, which we see, and those of you who have seen the movie and, or read the book, uh, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, you know that the key to the whole story is that the citizens of Whoville, after Christmas traditions were stolen, the gifts were stolen from under the trees, and the food that they were going to feast on was all taken away, they still begin to celebrate the season. And, and I have no doubt in my mind that uh, Dr. Seuss, who was a fourth-generation Lutheran, probably was thinking of the, Christmas, the Christian story and the Christian version of Christmas when he wrote it. But nevertheless, their joy was not stolen. They made a choice in spite of what they had lost. They made a choice to rejoice. The choice to rejoice is really important. I believe it's been highly underrated in its value in in human life and in specifically the Christian life. I believe it's been seriously neglected as as a great offensive weapon to defeat the enemies of life is the choice to rejoice. And the choice, another translation of the word rejoice is to brighten up. So, I say to you, first of all, that the choice to rejoice puts us on the right side of the enemies of Christ. And the Bible says, if a man's ways please the Lord, he makes his enemies to be at peace with him. Uh, We have our human enemies and adversaries and opponents and people that get offended at us and we offend them and we get offended at them and the bible wants us to make peace with all of the people in our lives that that get offended at us we get we we're supposed to try to work out our differences the bible says live at peace with all men so we're trying supposed to try to do that but there are enemies of god that i must never be at peace with the, that scripture does not refer to the enemies of the lord i always want to be on the opposite side of those who are enemies of christ those who are enemies of the hope of the world. One thing is certain. When we rejoice, Christ wins. When we experience the reign of Christ, he wins. When we mope, gripe, whine, bicker among ourselves, our adversary wins because we are experiencing the rule of Satan. You know, Satan doesn't know a moment of joy. He's the ultimate Grinch. In fact, he became a devil... By being discontented. By the way, he was in heaven when he became discontented. By the way, everything was perfect. He had a high position in the kingdom of heaven. And he was a a highly exalted angel. But he became discontented with his position. He became discontented with being third, fourth, fifth in command, whatever he was. Examine the words of these Christmas carols and you will see why rejoicing in Jesus gives him a headache. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greeted with theme, anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud the babe, the son of Mary. He doesn't like He doesn't like anyone being king but him. 
He wants to be in charge just for being in charge's sake, not because of any redemptive value of being in charge, just because he said, he said I will exalt myself in, in the book of Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 14. He says, I will exalt myself above the Most High. I will be like the Most High, he said. Here's another one. O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. O come, ye, O come, ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. The devil found that very offensive. The king of angels? I used to be an angel. And now you're saying he's the king of angels? I wanted to be the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. What about hark the herald angels sing? Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconcile. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. The word Christ means anointed one. So the good news. The good news that we sing about and we celebrate. And we sang about it this morning. And Sherry uh, led us in worship about this very thing that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Christ drives the devil crazy. Just like the rejoicing of Whoville, God on the Grinch's nerves. I want to get on the devil's nerves. How about you? Music. It's joyful and triumphant. Must crown the mouth. Not working. <laughs> Jesus got his power. See. Jesus got his power through humility and serving. Satan tried to get power through pride and dominance. Philippians 2.6 says, Though he were God, talking about Jesus, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Equality with God, that's the thing that, that the devil wanted, that he couldn't have. Jesus surrendered that equality with God. He had it, and he gave it up. Satan didn't have it, but couldn't give it up. Isaiah 14, 14, I tried to quote it badly while ago. I'll give it to you correctly now. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. See, I know and you know, we all know there's power in Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We, my friend, we have Jesus, and no one can take him away from us. No political party, no political action, nothing can take Jesus from us. A man named James Martin was traveling in, uh, in the Middle East several years ago. And while he was there, he bought a nativity set. 
you know, with the shepherds and the uh, angels, and I mean, the shepherds, the wise men, and Mary and the babe and Joseph, of course. And he's going through customs, and he's thinking they won't even pay any attention to this, but they start to examine it very meticulously and X, put it through the x-ray machine and all this thing, and, and, and the, the security officer could tell he was a little puzzled, and the, and the security officer said to James Martin, you see, you see, we've got to make sure there's nothing explosive in them. He thought to himself, there is something explosive in the story of Jesus. And nowhere is that explosiveness more obvious than when you see all the stories in the incarnation, including Herod. Herod was certainly one of the Grinches. You know, speaking of the power of the name of Jesus, uh, my uncle, and if anybody else, not anybody else, but if a lot of people had told me this story, I would have thought your imagination just got carried away with you. But, um, but my uncle Bob was just had so much credibility with me. And everybody who knew him, we, he just passed away a couple of years ago. And he was, uh, he was probably, he probably was a traveling, we used to call them evangelist, who would travel around and preach at different churches. He probably traveled around and, and preached crusades longer than any person alive. He started preaching uh, revivals, what we used to call them, when he was 16. And he continued to preach well into his 80s. And he was a... Uh, he was a degreed person, highly educated, was a professor at North Central, uh, used to call it North Central Bible College for a while. So I just, if, if Bob McCutcheon told me his story, I, I just tend to believe it. So he, he told me, he said one night, he was going to Texas Christian University, getting, working on his master's degree, and he had preached at some church, and they had given him an offering in cash. And so he had stuck the offering in his pocket, and that's what he was dependent on to pay his bills. And he's walking down the street toward his little apartment, and a guy steps out from behind a, a telephone pole and says, uh, could I have a light? And you know, he had a cigarette in his hand. And uh, Uncle Bob said, well, I'm sorry, I don't have a light. Uh, I, I don't smoke. He, the, the guy says, well, listen, I didn't really want a light anyway. I want your money. And he... And, and he clutches the offering. He's not going to give it to him. He's determined he's not. And, and Bob was a very interesting person because he, he would be, he was very, he seemed so shy. Uh, Bob McCutcheon was one of the, he just was a very quiet individual until he got what we used to call the anointing of the Holy Spirit would come on him. If, 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 if he were to preach here, he would come up here and he would just kind of like uh, Don Knotts, kind of like that. And all of a sudden, he would start running all over the room, and, and he would probably, he would, I watched him do things like come back and pull people out of the pew and bring them down front while he's preaching, and lay hands on them. I mean, he, he, was, he would just get bold. So he had that anointing came on him, and the guy pulls out a knife and says, I want your money. And he says to him, in the name of Jesus, drop that weapon. And the guy dropped the knife and ran. <laughs> We don't know what he saw, but I, I, I want to show you Bob's picture. He's a great guy, great guitar player, a wonderful person. And uh, I'm telling you, we need to recover that. We need to recover what Bob had. We, we are losing sight, and, I, and I'm going to talk a little bit about a, kind of end on kind of touching on political stuff. 
I don't want to be political in the sermon at all, but I want to touch on it because I think some of us are losing our way because the, the, the political situation is so tense right now. It's so tense and we're so polarized. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to political opinion. I'm not opposed to political activism. I'm not opposed to, I, I'm not opposed to you, you having your, your opinion or your party or your candidate or your cause. I mean, thank God we, we still live in a, a democratic republic and, and, and we can express ourselves and all of that. Uh, you know, th- that's all good. But, but I'm telling you, Jesus came to give us a kingdom that will never end. There's another kingdom, and it's not Republican, Democrat, Independent. It's, it's none of those things. It's the kingdom of God, and it's built on the power in the name of Jesus. And Jesus meant what he said. I have a kingdom that's not of the world. He said, my kingdom is within you. What, what Bob McCutcheon exercised last night was not the power of the local law enforcement or the power of a political party. What he exercised that evening was the power of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. And you have it. The church has it. The choice to rejoice is not about how you feel. It's an act of discipline and obedience. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. The choice to rejoice is when we choose to look at our circumstances for what is good instead of what is not so good. That's what the citizens of Whoville did. They obviously looked around and said, we have each other. We have what the Grinch cannot steal. We have what no one can take away from us. We have our lives. We have the reason for the season. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens. Now, in the original Greek, that means whatever happens. (laughs) Whatever happens. Whatever happens in your family, whatever happens between you and another person, whatever you got your feelings hurt about, whatever the political people do, whatever the Congress does, whatever the state, state legislators do, whatever the economy does, whatever the gas prices are, whatever is happening to the supply chain, whatever happens, everybody say whatever happens. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Boy, that's amazing scripture, isn't it? See, see, critical thinking is, is not the same as a critical spirit. Critical thinking is not the thing. One of the reasons that uh, Karl Marx and, uh, and Nietzsche... Nietzsche before Karl Marx were critical of Christianity and religion in general. They were critical because they felt, uh, they felt it made us non-critical. They felt that Christianity removed your ability to correct injustice because you would be happy. No matter what happened, you would rejoice. No matter what happened, you would be happy. But, but, but th- th- that's a false dichotomy. That, that dichotomy is entirely false. Your ability to execute justice and make positive change in your circumstances is not enhanced by you being angry. It's not enhanced by you being down and, and dour and sad and off 
and with and joyless. It's not enhanced by that. You can create change. You can you can be discerning with joy. And, and it's so important. It's so important. Ferreting out the negative, by the way, doesn't mean you're smarter than somebody else. It means you're weaker. It means you're weaker. Tolerance, patience, and forbearance are manifestations of power. I said tolerance, forbearance, forgiveness are manifestations of power, not weakness. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. It didn't make the, the citizens of Whoville were not weak to sing that day. They were strong. They were strong to overlook the offense of the Grinch. They were strong to ignore his, his desire to ruin their, ruin their season and, and maybe ruin their lives. C.S. Lewis said, No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. <laughs> I love that. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is open. The choice to rejoice comes from a thoughtful analysis of the treasure we have in Jesus and one another. Our choice to rejoice is because the Christ child fulfills our deepest longing. And if you're here today and Jesus hasn't fulfilled your deepest longing, I'm, I question that you've received him yet. I question that you have come to know him. And I hope before this service is over, you will make that important decision. Ultimately, the call to rejoice is obeying the call to magnify God. Think about Mary and Elizabeth, who had this amazing three months together. I would love to know more of what they talked about. I'd love to know more of what went on in their relationship. But in spite of the fact that they were under the cruel boot of Roman oppression. In spite of the fact that they had a religious authority that was making everyone miserable, they, they, they had taken the laws and rules of the Old Testament and they had multiplied them till by the time that Mary and Elizabeth came along, the Pharisees and the leaders of the synagogue and the rabbis that ruled had developed 632 rules that everyone had to live by. And you could get beat up, thrown in jail, even executed for not following the rules. They were in a very difficult and oppressive time. But they got out their magnifying glass. I know I use that as a prop every once in a while. They got out their magnifying glass. They didn't put it on the headlines down at the Jerusalem Post. They didn't put their headlines on the edicts of the Roman Empire that gave them all, another whole set of rules that they, that they had to live by. I mean, a Roman soldier could conscript you to do anything he wanted to do for you, and you better follow his orders. He could, he, you could have a he, he could have a heavy load, and he could look at you and say, as you're a Jewish common person, and he would say, you have to carry my pack. You have to carry my load. You have to carry this to wherever I tell you to carry it, and you had to obey Life was oppressive. I know some of you think life's oppressive because you have to go the speed limit <laughs> or have to wear a, a or have to wear a seat belt or in certain settings you have to wear a mask. You, 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 that, that's oppression to you, but you don't, you don't know oppression yet. You don't know oppression. But they were able to take their, the magnifying glass in their soul 
and put it on the kingdom of God. They were able to put it on Jesus. You know, you, you see, every Jewish person, Israel was their highest joy. In fact, Psalms 137, 6 says, may, may, my, may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I do not make Israel my highest joy. It actually said that. So think about this. Israel was in, in, in an oppressed, terrible state. And what did Mary and Elizabeth find? They found something better than Israel. They found something better than their nation. Maybe that will help some of you. I love my nation. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's everything right about loving your nation. I don't care what anybody says. But I must not magnify my nation above my, above my Christ. I must not magnify my nation above the kingdom of God. <laughs> the Bible says that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the Bible says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken until only that which cannot be shaken remains. So don't worry too much about the shaking because what we have is, isn't going to be shaken. It's going to be around. It's, it's lasting in the totalitarian, totalitarian regime of China. The kingdom of God is succeeding to the point that they say by like 2024, there will be more Christians in China than any other nation in the world. I'm telling you, don't get discouraged. You're, I read the last chapter of the book and we win. <laughs> Finally, the choice to rejoice, and this is such an important point. I guess I could have made the whole sermon about this. The choice to rejoice is a display of transforming love. I suppose... I suppose the citizens of Whoville could have, uh, I don't, I, you know, this, the story's not clear that they even knew who'd stolen their Christmas. But I, who knows? Dr. Zeus wrote the story. He could have written it differently. He could have written it. So the citizens of Whoville marched up the mountain and showed love in the way we normally think of love to the Grinchy old Grinch. But he did something else with the story that I thought was really interesting. He just had the citizens of Whoville not act bitter, not act angry, not act vengeful, not, not go on a search for who did this. He just had them rejoice. That's really cool, isn't it? That there, there's something to that. Let's think about that for a minute. That all Dr. Zeus had his Whoville people do is sing with triumphant and joy. And sometimes we make it way too complicated. But the scripture often makes it very simple. Here's a quote. Well, in Whoville, they say the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. Listen, listen to this description of the Grinch's heart. I love this. Your heart's an empty hole. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots. <laughs> Your heart is full of unwashed socks. But the Grinch is, maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe 
You live with someone like that, right? But the Grinch's tiny heart was transformed when people he offended, wounded, and even willfully tried to make miserable gave praise and rejoiced. The people of Whoville weren't trying to change the Grinch's heart. They were conquering their own inner Grinch. See, that's the real key here, is you've got to conquer your own inner Grinch. You know, do you know how the story of this, who, I'll get it out in a minute. Uh, it's early still. Only one cup of coffee. Uh, you know how, this, how Dr. Seuss came to write the story. Does anybody know this story, how he came to write it? It was, it, he was 53 years of age, and on the 26th of December one year, he was brushing his teeth, and he noticed how very grinchous he looked in the mirror. He noticed how very dour and sad he looked on the 26th of December. So, so he said, I wrote about my sour friend the Grinch to see if I could, here's his quote, I wrote about my sour friend the Grinch to see if I could rediscover something about Christmas that obviously I'd lost. So he was writing about himself when he wrote How Did the Grinch Stole Christmas? Because he probably thinking, I must have stole Christmas from somebody in the way I acted this year. And that's really the key, is for you and I to conquer the inner Grinch in our own souls and that we, we think we're going to change people and circumstances by acting irritated. We think we're going to change things by acting annoyed, by being critical. And it's totally the wrong strategy. It's totally the wrong strategy to change another person's heart because it doesn't come from love. Joy, let me tell you this, and, and, and maybe you've never heard this before, but rejoicing comes from love. And it's an expression of love. Because when you're, it's not just because of what you're saying when you're rejoicing. It's because of what you're not saying. When you're rejoicing, you're not saying, you did this, you did that, you're not doing that for me, you messed up, you, you're, you're making me crazy, you're making me angry. You're not saying that, you are, you are acting like the world is fine. And that is the heart of rejoicing, is you actually are acting like you're enjoying your life. Is that a simple assignment? That this Christmas season, we could all start acting like we're enjoying life? Well, let's, uh, let's play that scene where the Grinch's heart... I asked the Grinch last night if, if his heart had grown, but I, it actually was confirmed that, that it hasn't because it, he didn't offer to pay the bill. <laughs> if his heart had gotten all that big, he would have paid for my dinner last night. But anyway, the Grinch in the story had his heart, and let's see how it happened. ...to sound... Rising over the snow, it started in low, then it started to grow. Huh? Huh? But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sounded merry. But it was merry. Very. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. <laughs> hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. <laughs> Mr. Grinch! 
And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas. He thought. Doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas. Perhaps. Means a little bit more. Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> Kudos to Jim Carrey, great scene. You see, the citizens Whoville weren't singing the blues. They weren't assigning blame. What he heard was not the sound of crushing defeat or or the sound of rage of, over what he had done, their choice to rejoice gave life to a poor soul who had lost his ability to love. And we all have those people in our lives. James 1.20 says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Consider, consider Acts chapter 16, verse 22. This is a story from the life of Paul. We won't say much about it because we're winding down here in the sermon. But I'll just read it to you quickly. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So they're in solitary confinement in stocks or very uncomfortable. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I, 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 know, I know what Sherry was doing a while ago when she was up here. I know she was inviting you to worship and to praise. I, I'm not a critic of, of modern church, contemporary church at all. 
I'm not a critic of performance music that we do a lot. The modern day, the contemporary church, we do a lot of performance music. You don't even have to sing. You can just step back and watch the guitar and the drums and enjoy. The music's like going, it's like going to a concert. And, and I'm not critical. I, I don't like, I'm not going to be a Grinch or a Scrooge about that, right? But I do sometimes concern that we've lost something. We've lost something. And that is the joy of you singing. The joy of you entering into worship. The joy of that is what will transform lives. And it will cause people to have their heart grow three sizes or two sizes, whatever it's needed. One thing is certain about all of us in the sanctuary. Here, here's the here's, here's truth. And I, I say it, I'm pretty confident it's at least 95% true that we're all upset about something. How, how many of you, just do a little survey, how many of you right now can think of something you're upset about? That's about 98%. So I wasn't, I wasn't far off. I mean, any survey that comes out that good, it's considered, it's considered a success. So uh, most of us, there's something in our life we're upset about. Uh, Brian Williams signed off from MSNBC this week after 28 years announcing his retirement with this dire warning. Here's what he said. And I don't know, some of you may have heard it. The darkness on the edge of town has spread to the main roads, to the highways, byways, and neighborhoods. It's now at the local bar and the bowling alleys, at the school board and the grocery store, and it must be acknowledged and answered for grown men and women who swore an oath to their constitution, elected by their constituents, possessing the kind of college degrees I could only dream of, have decided to join the mob. They have decided to burn it all down with us inside. Now, for my purpose right now, it doesn't matter to me whether he's referring to the political right or the political left, because I know both sides feel that way right now. He's describing how many of us feel at this time. Of course, many of you and a lot of you who raised your hand, your joylessness or your thing you're upset about is way more personal. It has nothing to do with national politics. It doesn't matter for the reason I'm saying it. I know you may object because there's always a danger in finding your joy in something other than circumstances because it can, listen to me, it can lead to passivity and it can lead to inaction. That's why a lot of us don't find our joy because we, we think it will lead us to passivity and inaction. There's some injustice we need to correct either at our, at our work, in the politics of the world, in the nation, in our personal relationships. There's something we need to correct before we can have joy. And so we've got this, I know I talked about that earlier in the sermon, we've got this tension going on. Joying in Jesus or correcting the injustice and you kind of feel like you need to be a little, you need to be angry to correct that injustice. You need to be critical. You need to be, uh, that's not joyless. That's not joyful over here on, on, the, on this side of the, of, of the continuum of correcting injustice, taking care of what's wrong, speaking up for, 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 for some injustice that's being committed against you or somebody else. 
I don't totally know how to resolve that. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't totally know how to resolve that because we are called at times to speak up about things that aren't right. We're called at times to have a righteous, there's even a righteous anger described in the Bible. How about this? How about this being what God is calling us to? To hold the two in perfect tension. But always give more weight to the authority of Christ. So the eternal, Paul called it the weight of glory. The weight of glory will always outweigh the injustice. It will always outweigh the thing you're annoyed about or worried about. Because truthfully, it doesn't all have to be fixed before Jesus returns. Some things are not going to be fixed. Some things are not going to be made right until the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes and makes it all right. So you better, if you want to be happy, how many of you want to be happy? If you want to be happy, find your joy in Jesus. Find your joy in the unshakable kingdom of God. See, the greater danger in not correcting you know a greater danger than not correcting that injustice that you're concerned about or that thing that's not right a greater danger is destroying your own soul that's a greater danger and the souls of people around you with despair anger rage what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul scripture says listen carefully to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8 9 it's not going to be on the screen for you on the wall Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of yourselves. Right now, we're all going to pray and I'm going to ask you to make a covenantal decision in this prayer to remove your focus, your worship and your joy away from anything that man or devil can take away from you and transfer it to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. In this prayer, I want us to march into the devil's territory and make one demand. Give me back my joy. Okay? Will you do that? We'll do that in conjunction with communion. If you've never received, I'm going to pray a prayer and this prayer is designed for those of you who have not made Jesus the Lord of your life and I want you to also get prepared to receive Holy Communion this morning Father in the name of Jesus I come to you confessing my sins confessing my failures confessing my inability to have joy and I give it over to you and I invite you now Father to make Jesus Christ your son the Lord of my life and I receive his body and his blood as a, sig- as a signal of his power and everlasting kingdom. Because you, he, he said he, we, he, would not, he would not take communion with us or drink from the fruit of this vine until he drinks it anew with him in his kingdom. So we rejoice in the kingdom that is and the kingdom to come. In Jesus' name.